you have your Bibles, would you turn with me this morning to the book of 1 John? I see some new faces, some visitors. It's great to have you with us this morning. Uh, we have been studying the book of 1 John, uh, this New Testament letter found near the back of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible this morning, that's okay. We have some Bibles available on the back cart that you certainly can use and follow along. And if you don't own a copy of God's Word, take it home as our gift to you. Uh, but you can just follow along on the screen. We at Ascension go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, seeking to understand what it is God wants us to know as his people from his word. And so this morning, as we come to the book of 1 John, once again, we pick up mid-chapter, mid-chapter to uh, chapter, in chapter 3, in this letter that was written in the first century to the first century church, inspired by the Holy Spirit, carried down through generations for our benefit here today. It's a letter, as I've said before, and as I remind you again of now, it's a letter written to a church that needs assurance, right? We said that, I think, week one, chapter five, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so in order to assure them, John teaches them of these signs, these signs that make clear their standing. I've been often calling them tests, as some commentators call them. This morning, or this week as I was studying, I'm, I'm going away from the word test, just because test sounds like a performance. It sounds like, how did you do on that test? And so we're going to call them signs from now on. Signs that prove or that show our standing before the Lord. And remember what they are. They're doctrinal, they're moral, and they're social. In other words, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? What do you do with what he has said to you, with what he commands? And number three... Do you have love for his people? Do you have love for his people? And at this point in the letter, John has actually introduced all three of those signs. And he's already uh, pricked our hearts to wrestle with each of them. And now he's making his way back around to each of them one by one. And specifically now, specifically today, he's focusing, focusing on love. You remember that about a chapter ago, we camped out a bit on love, on the old commandment that was new, but it wasn't really new, it was actually old. Remember that whole bit that John went through? And as we wrestled with love in chapter two, we were reminded that living in the light simply looks like love. It's a love that's supernatural, and it's a love that is familial, as John uses all this family language, fathers, young men, children. And we are reminded that we are knit together in the bonds of love, us in this room, as a spiritual family, with spiritual bonds that the world doesn't know, that the world doesn't understand. So John has already encouraged us 
to love one another. But we're going to hear it again this morning. Love one another. But this morning, what he's going to do is he's going to elaborate that love. He's going to talk a bit about the fruit of that love. A love that is ultimately grounded in the love that we've received from God himself. Right? And just to review some of the places our hearts have gone in these past weeks. A love last week that was built on the Father For we have been made his children. Right? Behold what manner of love that we should be called the children of God. A love that flows from Jesus, our propitiation. Remember that big word? Last couple weeks we looked at it. Our propitiation, our wrath-absorbing sacrifice, our advocate, the one who sits right now, in risen, glorified form at God's right hand, interceding for us, His people. And then a love abiding because we have received the anointing that is the Holy Spirit. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Now what I just said highlights the fact that ours is a triune story of redemption, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a triune invitation to fellowship. And so this morning, as we explore these next verses of chapter 3 of this letter of 1 John, I want to do so in that framework. As we explore the love that has called us, the love that we are called to, And the fruit of that love, I want to do so through the lens of the triune God. I'm always thinking about, I'm a logical, organized thinker. You guys know that. I preach like that. And so if I come to a passage and I can't figure out how to hang my thoughts on it, I'm lost. And so this was a little bit of a chore for me this week. I think I've got it. I hope you can follow along. But I want to look at this passage through that lens. It's all here in the passage. I'm not adding something that's not here. And I hope that you'll see that as we read it. So that was a lengthy introduction. I'll compensate in the body of the sermon. No stress. Uh, 1 John chapter 3. If you would, as we normally do out of honor of God's word, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through the end of the chapter, picking up where we left off last week, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. Listen as I read. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love 
that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, We shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And that we love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let me just say a quick word to our young parents. I meant to say this earlier. It's great to hear Atlas chatting with me. Uh, I don't know where he is. Oh, he's out there on the couch. Um, you know, we've not yet opened our, reopened our nursery, and so we've got, we've got some of our young kids in here. And I just want you young parents to know it's not bothering me to hear them squawk and to hear them chirp. I actually love it, and I'm not distracted by it. And so uh, there's a lot of grace in this room in terms of uh, handling the chatter and uh, the dropped books and whatever else is happening in your, uh, in your row. So we're glad that you're here. Uh, glad that you're here, Atlas. All right. As we uh, talk about this text this morning, you can see that in our English, transla- in our English translations, there's three paragraphs, right? Verses 11 through 15, verses 16 through 18, verses 19 through 24. Three paragraphs, three persons of the Trinity, three truths from Nate Hitchcock. It all works well in my mind. Hopefully it works well in yours. And I don't think I'm doing violence to the text. Um, The first one is this, verses 11 through 15. Let's start there. The fruit of the Father's love is hate. The fruit of the Father's love is is hate. Yeah, I see some furrowed brows. Like, what is that about? Hopefully it'll become clear. Again, it works in my head. There's an 18th century children's story that tells the tale of a poor orphan girl named Marjorie Meanwell. Marjorie is so destitute that she runs around in her life, in her childhood, with only one shoe. That is, until a rich gentleman buys her a brand new pair of shoes. And Marjorie becomes so proud of her new pair of shoes that she can't stop talking about them. She can't stop talking about the fact that she now has two shoes. Yes, it's this story that has popularized the phrase that we hear in our culture Miss Goody Two-Shoes. Ever been called Goody Two-Shoes? How about, uh, have you ever been called a teacher's pet? 
right? These are pejorative terms usually used when, when someone is doing right, when someone is walking with integrity, when someone is committed to that path. Related to this, though, no doubt less common. I remember as a young boy, a pastor's kid, I remember in middle school being despised by some kids in the neighborhood because of my family name, because my father was a pastor. Scorned for doing right, hated for representing love. As we begin to unpack this passage, we, we do it with this background. Verse 2, beloved, we are God's children. Verse 11, we are called to be lovers of one another. Chapter 2, verse 7, this is not a new thing, but an old thing. Verse 11 of chapter 3, something from the beginning. In other words, love is basic Christianity. It's Christianity 101. Now you'd think, you'd think that that would be uncontroversial, right? We love love. Everyone in their right mind would choose love over hate, right? But, but here's the thing. Not everyone agrees with what love is, with what love looks like. And, and we're going to return to that in just a minute. But here's it's, it's one of the reasons why that those who are loved by the Father, who turn to love like their Father, in the ways that our Father calls His children to love, are hated. Let me repeat that. Those loved by the Father, who in turn love like Him, in the ways that he calls his children to love, are hated. Verse 13, don't be surprised that the world hates you, John says. John just echoes, as he does, a lot. He echoes Jesus' own words in John 15, 17, and 18. These things I command you, Jesus says, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. You see, that's how we make sense of these verses. This is the the spirit of Cain, we might say. Cain, who is represented here in our passage as exhibit A of how not to love, right? Of course, John reminds us that the devil lurks in the shadows, that Behind Cain's actions were, was the devil himself, but Cain was still responsible for his actions. And so John brings up the story of Cain, a, a story that's found in Genesis chapter 4, a, a story that I think a lot of us are familiar with, maybe not all of us. Notice that John assumes that his readers know exactly what he's talking about. He assumes that they know the story. He doesn't bother rehashing it. But the story is basically this. Two brothers bring two offerings to the Lord. Abel's offering was sincere and acceptable. Cain's was not. And the Lord's rejection of Cain angered him to the point of murdering his brother. Abel was right. 
He was right in his actions. He was right before the Lord. And that drove Cain mad. Driven by envy, he destroyed his own flesh and blood. So the point is, the world thinks about us, at least at times, at points, in the same way. Here we sit this morning in truth, right with God, seeking to love God and love others out of that, and it's often too much for the world around us. It's denounced as as disingenuous and worthy of contempt. Because the fruit of the Father's love at times is hate. And John says, don't be surprised. Peter says the same thing in his first letter. Don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you. Christ was hated in his love so will we. Because we don't love like the, like the world loves. We love in truth. We love in principle. We love as the Father loves. Calling people to repentance. Calling people to right living. And I'll just add this as well. We don't need to make the world love us. So sometimes we need to stop trying so hard. Of course, we don't need to add offense to the gospel. We need to seek when and where we can be all things to all men. Yes, but we dare not compromise or water down who we are in order to help the world swallow us a bit easier. At the end of the day, the world is not going to understand our motives and our actions Indeed, Paul says, the heart of our message is foolishness. Foolishness that often gets spun as dangerous, right? Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So it's okay. That at times the fruit of the Father's love is hate. Brothers and sisters, this is, the, this is the reality of this first truth. But there's also a warning, right? If we were to flip that on its head, we come to verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And so we could also say that the fruit of the father's love is also not hate, right? The fruit of the Father's love might bring hate to us, but the fruit of the Father's love in us is not hate towards others. It's the opposite. It's the love, the same love that the Father has shown us. Again, echoing Jesus' words in Matthew 5, John reminds the church that hate is embryonic murder, and it has no place in children of light, no place with the children of God. Verse 14, whoever does not love abide abides in darkness. And yet, how easy is it these days to despise one another? Even within the church, how easy it is to dismiss one another, to wish them away in our hearts. 
how seemingly harmless to do this, wielding the weapon of social media. We need to be careful, church. Yes, we are hated by the world, by the ways that we love, but we dare not let that hate exist in our hearts. The great reformer John Calvin said this, we cannot hurt, slander, mock, despise one of our brethren without at the same time hurting, slandering, mocking, despising Christ in him. So much Jesus loves his bride in all of our brokenness. The fruit of the Father's love is hate. The fruit of the Father's love is not hate. That's the first thing I want us to focus on this morning. The second is this. As we move to these next verses, this next paragraph, the fruit of Jesus' love is tangible. The fruit of Jesus' love is tangible. So many love songs to choose from, from the 80s and 90s, as I was thinking about this. As we consider how the world defines love, I want to know what love is, and I know you can show me. More than words is all you have to do to make it real. Then you wouldn't have to say that you love me, because I'd already know. Terrible lyric. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What do we learn from the world in regards to love? Well, nothing really. At least not from those songs. Nothing good anyway. The first two lyrics are about sexual pleasure, while the third is a secular prayer for more love, more sweet love, which probably means more tolerance of one another. So what is love? What is true love? As I said already, we wrestled with this a few weeks ago in chapter 2. We opened up 1 Corinthians 13, that great, rich definition of love. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Well, here, John sets before us exhibit A. Exhibit A of hate was Cain. Exhibit A of love is Jesus himself. Jesus has made love visible. He has made love tangible. This is love as we look at our Savior. And we can break down what we see here into three parts. First of all, true love is sacrificial and selfless. He laid down His life for us. John 15, 13. Out of of Jesus' own mouth. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It's what enabled Paul to say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus shows us a tangible love 
that is selfless and that is sacrificial. But true love is also generous and inconvenient. You see, it's not likely that you or I will get the opportunity in our lives to die for someone. It's probably not going to happen. But you do have the opportunity to live for them by saying no to things in your life for their sake. By readiness to do what's needed at cost to you. At cost to you. Whether it be your time, whether it be your resources, whether it be your personal safety and security. True love is generous and inconvenient. And then finally, true love is not just words. But what does John say? It's deeds and truth. James 2, 15 through 17, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need, what good is that? C.S. Lewis has a great quote on this. C.S. Lewis, the author, He says, it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women. Let me start off again. It's it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. The fruit of Jesus' love is tangible. But to see us Lewis's words ring true in your experience, do they, do they cut to your heart a bit like they cut to my heart? I hope so. Relationships are hard. Relationships are messy. Relationships take time. Another quote, A.W. Tozer says, you can can will to love people. Love is not a feeling. Love is a willing. And the Lord says to love people. He did not merely mean to feel love for them. And yet here we are in Edmonds, Washington, in the United States of America, having the world's goods. The harder thing is filling the need, right? Because on the one hand, everyone in here looks good. I mean, I, I've no con- I've, I've no, I have confidence. I have every bit of confidence that if one of you walked in here without a shirt on, that we'd give you a shirt. Everyone in here looks good. Doesn't look like there's any needs. I guess my first question is, do you really know that? Do you really know if there are needs in this room? So on one hand, everybody looks good, and then at times, the needs can be so overwhelming, too much to handle, that we get frozen. Like, what are we supposed to do, whether it be the 
the guys at the stoplight at Fred Meyer up here, whether it be those heartbreaking Facebook posts about people in Afghanistan or people in Haiti or you name it. We need wisdom. We need to stop and consider what God might be calling us to. If the fruit of God's love, the fruit of Jesus' love is tangible, how can we love one another? It begins with open hearts and generous hands. Why don't you pray? Why don't you pray, Lord, show me how to help. Bring a need into my life, even this week, that I'm not aware of, that I can meet, that's inconvenient for me, that takes a bit of sacrifice for me. Why don't you pray that and see if the Lord would bring those needs into your life. The fruit of Jesus' love is tangible. Well, one final truth from that last big paragraph, verses 19 through 24, rounding off the Trinity, the fruit of the Spirit's love is confidence. The fruit of the Father's love is hate. The fruit of Jesus' love is tangible. The fruit of the Spirit's love is confidence. In the closing verses of chapter 3, John gives us an encouragement. And if you're like me with all of this, you need encouragement. You need encouragement because you are painfully aware of your lack of love. In fact, all three signs have stung a little bit. And here they all are again. In verses 23 and 20, 22 and 23, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and that we love one another just as he commanded us. Obedience, doctrine, and love. We need these in our lives. Yes, we. I'm not trying to water down and make irrelevant John's signs, John's tests, John's signs towards how we know that we are God's people. Gospel-grounded introspection is called for. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters, when your heart tells you that you're not enough, as he says in verse 20, when it condemns us, then what? That's when you remember the gospel. That's when you look away from yourself. God is greater. Look to him. Jesus is stronger. Fix your eyes on him because this is ultimately all his work, all his doing. I know last week I read from the Westminster Confession of Faith, like a good Presbyterian pastor, I got to throw this in once in a while. Make sure the internet sees this. Uh, Just kidding. I read a little bit of it, but it's so good. If you haven't read our confessional document, a little bit archaic language for sure, but super helpful. And this chapter, chapter 18 on assurance came to mind as I was thinking about this 
passage as I was thinking about the condemnation of my own heart. And I just wanted to read it to you. Again, a little bit archaic language. Stick with me. But listen to this. It says, although hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and the estate of salvation, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in a state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. Okay, we know that. That's what John's doing here. He's helping us know that assurance. But chapter or paragraph two, this certainly is not a bare conjecture and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope, but an infallible assurance of faith founded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation. The inward evidence of those graces unto which these promises are made, the testimony of the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are children of God, which spirit is the earnest of our inheritance, whereby we are sealed to the day of redemption. Now, what can we gather from those two paragraphs, specifically paragraph two? This, there is one objective ground to our assurance. And it's not how good you love this week. The one objective ground to our assurance is the divine truth, as the Westminster Confession puts it, the divine truth of the promises of God. It's the gospel. So when your heart condemns, look away from yourself and look to Jesus And then, yeah, backfilled to those are the evidences of those graces, which is what we've been talking about in 1 John, those graces wrought by the Spirit. And the Spirit uses those tests, that testimony to seal our hearts. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So here's, here's the bottom line. We don't despair. Even when the fruit of our love is not as prevalent or is not as sweet as we would like it to be. Don't despair, but keep striving, keep abiding, and keep praying. That's where this passage ends up, with the fact that a clear conscience resulting in a secure standing produces powerful praying. Hebrews 10, let me paraphrase it. Since we have confidence through Jesus, let us draw near with full assurance. Let us hold fast our confession and our hope. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works as we meet together encouraging one another. You see, this is good news wrought in us by the Holy Spirit, accomplished for us by the work of Jesus, originating in the Father's heart towards us, His people. So brothers and sisters, go from this place challenged, yes, but also comforted. You need not add to what our God has done 
but by believing that it is enough, you'll be enabled to bear the fruit of his love in your life. You'll be able to love loudly and pray boldly because of that work. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this message from the book of 1 John. We thank you for John and his heart for his Savior, his heart for your truth, his heart for the church which he writes to and pleads with. Father, I pray that we would live lives that flow from the gospel knowing that our standing is secure in Jesus. May we love like Jesus. May we not worry about the hate of the world as we walk in faithfulness to You. May we be able to quiet the condemnations of our heart and the accusations of the enemy saying that You're not enough. You haven't done enough. He's right. We haven't done enough. But You, Jesus, have done it all. And so we hide in You Because that's all we can do. Father, that is enough to change us. That is enough to transform our lives. And so make it so. Holy Spirit, stir in us. Give us grace to abide in You. To walk in You. For the glory of Your name. In Jesus' name, Amen.